2: my seven chakras episode
0: 364 the seven chakras swirling vortices of energy positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head for thousands of years this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple what are the functions of these energy centers and could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. Kumar.
2: What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my The show where we help you experience effortless healing, awakening and abundance. In today's episode... We go deep into discussions about your kundalini energy, your chakras, your nadis, breathwork, and so much more. So you cannot afford to miss even a single minute of this session. But before diving in, I'd like to remind you that I have recently released a 24-page PDF document that outlines some of my favorite ways to raise my vibrations and feel much better almost immediately. To get your free download, go to my7chakras.com forward slash feel better now. It's my7chakras.com forward slash feel better now. All right, so let's bring on our special guest for today, Dr. Susan Shumsky. So Dr. Shumsky is a highly respected spiritual teacher, award-winning author and founder of Divine Revelation, a unique field a unique feel proven technology for contacting the divine presence hearing and testing the inner voice and receiving clear divine guidance for over two decades her mentor was Maharishi Mahesh Yogi founder of transcendental meditation and guru of the beatles she served on maharishi's personal staff for 6 years so Susan welcome to our show, welcome to our show and uh, are you ready to inspire I am
3: ready to inspire, AJ. Thank you for inviting me.
2: You're very welcome. It's super exciting to connect with you. And I've got so many topics that I want to hopefully explore in today's episode. But before we begin, what is that one inspirational quote that is on your mind right now? And how do you sort of keep that in your mind or live up to it on a day-to-day basis?
3: Well, when you said inspirational quote, what popped into my mind is, I am the resurrection and the life. And I suppose the reason why that popped into my mind is because that is a seed statement that has to do with our immortal soul, that we are an immortal being. And that by saying affirmations such as, I am the resurrection and the life, we are infusing those qualities into our being. And, you know, affirmations have so much power. So that's one of the really main things that I teach is ask and it shall be given unto you. And asking means using affirmative statements. Mm.
2: Thanks a lot for sharing. Actually, Tribe, if you're listening to this right now, remember that there's power in the process of asking, but you need to affirm your requests and make sure that you assume that you already have it because there is power in the I am. So... Lovely quote. Thanks a lot for sharing that with us. So, Susan, let's go back to the start. Talk to us about your childhood. What was it like growing up in your household?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in quite a conservative uh, Jewish household. Uh, But then it was the 60s, you know, and I became a hippie and I went (laughs) to live in the San Francisco Bay Area. And those of us who were hippies at that time, who were flower children, we were seeking spiritual awakening, we were seeking nirvana. And I was reading everything I could lay my hands on Buddhist scriptures, Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, The Way of Zen by Alan Watts and other books by Alan Watts. And in his books, he said that you need to find a meditation guide. Well, in Berkeley, California in 1966, you didn't exactly go to the Yellow Pages and open up and find a meditation guide or anything remotely similar to that. So I I asked a friend, well, how do I find this meditation guide? And he said, well, have you ever tried to meditate on your own? I said, okay, well, I'll give it a shot. Uh, So I lay down on my bed. That's how clueless I was. I didn't even know that you're supposed to sit up when you meditate. I lay in my bed and I sort of prayed for, asked for a quote unquote meditation. And immediately I was propelled into this ecstatic state. I could feel this rush or cord of energy rushing from the tips of my toes all the way up to the top of my head. And I felt like I was plugged into this cosmic electric socket, but in a most ecstatic way. Mm. And I thought, well, I guess this is meditation. I didn't know any better. And little did I know that not only did I have my first meditation, but also Kundalini awakening all at the same time, (laughs) without Mm. drugs, without any stimulants or anything. Um, And at the time, that was the thing, was to do LSD. But mm-hmm. this was without anything, and, and I had this amazing experience. And I wanted to repeat that, or at least I still wanted to reach a nirvana. Mm-hmm. Eventually, a friend took me to the Transcendental Meditation Center. Mm-hmm. I saw the picture of the guru on the wall, and I could feel this energy that was just washing over me. Coming from his eyes, I just felt this amazing, uplifting a spiritual energy and I realized this is where I could learn real meditation so I did mm-hmm. and I actually spent over two decades in the ashrams of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and six years on his personal staff.
2: Wonderful thanks a lot for sharing and building that picture for us about how you got started with spirituality and meditation so a couple of questions over here so firstly when you got started what within you wanted to sort of experience nirvana what do you feel that was? And then B, as you look back, what do you feel made you have that Kundalini experience at the first time itself, right? There are some people who, you know, practice and strive for maybe months or even years together. So what made you have that Kundalini experience in your first attempt? And before that, if you could tell us what within you wanted to seek out and uh, find out the truth or have that Nirvana experience?
3: I think it had to be something from past lives because certainly there was nothing in my lifetime. I was not raised by people who had any interest in meditation or yoga or although actually those things didn't even exist in America when Mm. I was born. I mean, there had been maybe Vivekananda and Yogananda were the only people who ever visited the West and tried to teach people yoga or anything like that. Uh, But it certainly had nothing to do with my family. They still have no interest in <laughs> or anything about yoga or holistic anything. I was raised by a surgeon, AMA all the way. No, <laughs> no belief in any alternative medicine. That was quackery, according to my father. So, a totally different kind of childhood. But I think there was a longing from many past lives of wanting to reach a higher consciousness, and that really was affirmed when I went to become a hippie (laughs) in (laughs) San Francisco because Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert, they had written a book called The Psychedelic Experience, which was based upon the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And in their books and their their book and their teachings, they were telling us, turn on, tune in and drop out. And they were telling us that LSD was the way that you would get to nirvana. It certainly didn't work out for me. I mean, (laughs) I actually had a psychotic break from taking lsd it was i had horrible experience but then i did have some nirvana kind of experiences on lsd and on um marijuana which i was also taking but i wanted to (laughs) wanted to learn how to do that without drugs so um and then when i had the experience why did i have that experience right away Mm
4: -hmm.
3: was it the longing or was it just i had had that similar experience in past lives? And so it was familiar to me. And there I, I just went into that uh, state. So I think nice. I have some past lives.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, that provides us some context, right? And our listeners might also be able to resonate with this that we don't start with a clean slate, right? We always have impressions or yearnings or longings from previous lifetimes that often have an influence in this lifetime. Uh, so. Talk to us about your very first mystical, spiritual encounter. What was it like?
3: (laughs) Well, I guess my first mystical encounter was when I met Maharishi. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and we went we drove down to Los Angeles from San Francisco area Mm -hmm. and we were meeting him. uh, He was going to give a lecture. So we went to the airport to meet and greet him, and he was walking between corridors Two corridors of people that were doing pranams and saying "Jai Guru Dev, Jai Guru Dev," and so he was smiling and laughing and giggling at all these people. And he had this amazing energy. He was so powerful. He had this charisma that was unlike anything I had ever experienced before. And also, he exuded this divine love all around him. His energy field was just filled with love.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So he was giggling and and laughing and cooing at all the people down the the road down the corridor and then he comes to me and he stops and he looks me up and down and up and down and up and down and then he gives me a kind of a sneer and I and as I offered the 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 flowers to him that I had picked (laughs) what flowers I had picked on the way down everyone else had beautiful flowers that they got in flower shops but I was dressed like a crazy hippie. Mm. I had my wild and frizzy hair. I had had hairy underarms and legs and my junk store dress, my funky drunk junk store dress, my hippie beads, my leather sandals that were very, very funky and kind of nailed together with these funky nails. I looked ridiculous. Anyway, he looks me up and down and up and down and then he gives me this kind of disdain. And I'm like, well, what did I do wrong? You know, and I was just devastated. So, you know, he was immediately starting to work on my ego from the first moment I met him. Uh. I call it open ego surgery. That's what Indian gurus do, they work mm. on you to try to help you to become a better version of yourself. And how they do that is through various seesaw emotional gymnastics that they put you through praise, blame, praise put down, uplift, put down, uplift, put down. It's like a seesaw and you're going through this intense emotions. I didn't really experience that fully until I got onto a staff and worked on a staff for six years. And not only, I wasn't the only person that experienced this, all the people on staff experienced this. And I, you know, I just dubbed that open ego surgery.
2: <laughs> got it. So for the benefit of, of our listeners, why do you feel there's a need to break down the ego?
3: You know, it's really traditional in India. Uh, Indian spiritual masters, they talk about that you have to become egoless in order to experience God. And mm. in a sense, it's true. Um, the parts of the ego that are negative, that are that make make you feel unworthy, that make you doubt yourself, the parts of your ego that make you feel weak and that make you feel less than, those mm. are the things that need to go. Uh, the parts of your ego that are involved with self-confidence and and uh, efficiency and, and being competent and all of that, those are the parts of your ego that are good, that you want to keep. But what the spiritual master does is helps you to realize yourself and helps you to uh, express yourself. It helps you to express who you truly are and to uh, develop parts of yourself that you didn't know you could you could develop Mm. when i lived with maharishi for those six years it's amazing how much i changed and how much i developed in very practical ways i i learned how to do so many things because of the fact that he would make me redo everything over and over and over and over and over he did that with everyone by the way (laughs) (laughs) he would drive everyone nuts Having us yeah. redo everything over and over and over until it became perfect. And yeah. it never was. He always yeah. criticized, no matter what it was, it was never good enough. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <God>. <laughs>
3: it was really crazy. Yeah. yeah.
2: So so uh, this is this is a great topic because I'm always curious about shifting my identity towards my true self. So what is an aspect about yourself that you felt that you could not change before? But then, with the guidance of Maharishi, you ended up changing. I'm just trying to get an idea because there are aspects of myself that I want to change as well. So, w- what were they in your case, or what was it in your case?
3: I think I had a, I think I was actually kind of a know it all.
2: <laughs> okay.
3: I was a know it all and kind of, um, I looked down on other people quite a bit. Hmm. And I think that that was something that he really helped me with to try to try to tone that down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> realize Got that it. other people add value too, not just me.
2: <laughs> Got it. <laughs> okay, so that, so then he helped you look into that aspect of your life, shine some light in those areas. Got it. Thanks a lot for sharing. And then where in this quest, where in this story, did you then uh, discover the knowledge of the chakras? Where where did that happen?
3: Well, that's very interesting because Maharishi never taught anything about chakras. (laughs) (laughs) He was not a kundalini yoga teacher. He taught this uh, transcendental meditation, which is only involved with using a mantra. But (laughs) (laughs) when I started writing books, after I left, I actually was in Maharishi's various ashrams for over two decades. And then I learned another form of meditation that's called divine revelation. And once I began to do that, I began to write books. The first book was called Divine Revelation. That came out in 1996. And then I started writing more books. And then Mm -hmm. I got a different publisher. Uh, My first book was published by Simon & Schuster. Later, I got a different publisher, which was called New Page Books at the time. Now it's part of Red Wheel Wiser. But that publisher asked me to write a book about chakras. It was the last thing I would ever want to write about. But because of the fact that they asked me to write the book, Mm. suddenly i got interested in the topic and i went back to the ancient scriptures the tantric and vedic scriptures of india to find the most authentic information i could find out about the subject so i so i went delved deep into that topic and i found i mean i was amazed at what i was able to find about the chakra system that actually there were scriptures about it there were ancient texts about it and then i could uh, i could write about that in this book, which originally was called Exploring Chakras. So that was the original title. And, and I, you know, I drew pictures because I'm an artist, I drew pictures of the deities and, and the um, mandalas, everything, the yantras of the chakras and all of that. And, and I made it into a really great book that was so unique. Yeah, (laughs) information just could not be found anywhere else unless you yeah. went back to the ancient scriptures. You could not find that information. It certainly wasn't any of the New Age books at all. No. And now my latest book, uh, the Big Book of Chakras and Chakra Healing, it's like an encyclopedia of the chakras. It's so vast uh, the, the the knowledge that's in there. You know, it's everything you ever wanted to know about chakras and everything you didn't want to know about chakras, but you're going to learn it anyway because it's in the book. <laughs> so <laughs> it's filled. Right to the brim with all the information about um, the seven major chakras and seven other chakras that are edified in the ancient scriptures, most of which are in your head, by the way, in your in the in your brain or above your head. So it's a very mystical uh, book uh, and very esoteric. Mm. And it's about also about the, how the universe gets created and goes back into Maha Pralaya at the end of the cycle of creation and how this human system has the same kind of cycle coming from the Bindu point. uh, Then all of the, um, all of the elements and all the Tatwas creating this body and this, this physicality. And then at the end of your cycle of creation, going back to the bind to the singularity or Bindu point is very far out. What can I say?
2: (laughs) Well, absolutely. I mean, I love the fact that you've not held back. You talk about the deities and you talk about the Sanskrit terms and you talk about the philosophy behind of everything. And that's very important. Like you've alluded to a lot of times, unless you go deep into the scriptures, the tantra, tantric scriptures, as well as the Vedic scriptures, you won't find this information, uh, this esoteric information, along with practical information as well. So, uh, you know, going back to the time where you were deep, you know, you were perusing through these scriptures. What about the chakra knowledge sort of got you hooked? At what point did you get, did you get hooked onto it? I and really yeah,
3: I really got hooked when I realized that as above, so below. When I realized mm. that Mahapralaya was was related to laya, absorption of the elements at the end when you're going into spiritual enlightenment, that really got me hooked. And I certainly haven't seen that anywhere else. But I do um, do reveal that in the book in a very profound way, and it's extremely meaningful to me.
2: Got Let's talk about kundalini energy now. Uh, for those who, who are new to this particular term, what is kundalini energy or kundalini shakti? So
3: all we have to do is start with the basic thing and what is prana. Yeah. So Prana is life force energy. It is what is keeping you alive. It's said in the Upanishads that when prana is in the body, that is what is defined as life. And when prana leaves the body, that is what is defined as death. So prana is what's keeping you alive. It gives you motion. It gives you heat. And by the way, prana is the same thing as chi in China and ki in Japan. So prana is flowing through a subtle sheath or kosha. It's called kosha in Sanskrit. A subtle part of your uh, energy body or your auric field, whatever you want to call it. It's the invisible part of you which pervades, permeates and surrounds your physical body. And one of those layers called the pranamaya kosha or the vital energy body, that is the body or the sheath through which the nadi, meaning the conduits of subtle energy, um, the nadi and the also known as meridian, that the the prana flows through those conduits of energy. So uh, those are throughout your energy field and Uh, they're giving vital energy to every part of your body they're regulating your body they're keeping you alive but they're invisible and you can't measure them (laughs) you can't (laughs) find them if you dissect a corpse you're not going to find a nadi or a chakra anywhere but when many nadi come together in a plexus that's called a chakra so chakra means wheel and people really need to learn how to pronounce the word because everyone's calling them chakras, and there's no such word as chakra in the English language or the Sanskrit language, and this is a Sanskrit word. I don't even pronounce it correctly. AJ, you can pronounce it correctly because you know how to pronounce (laughs) Sanskrit. But, you know, at least chakra, you know, let's try it. At least that's close enough. Mm. So... (laughs) So the chakra are uh, wheels because they have a hub and they have spokes of energy, radiations of energy that come from the hub. And every chakra is associated with one of the endocrine glands. It's associated with a certain functions in your physical body. And as I said, it's keeping you alive. So prana is this life force energy. Kundalini is a specific kind of prana. Mm. It's a spiritual energy. And it is uh, often called the mystic coil or the serpent power. And it actually, the word Kundalini means curled up, curled up energy. So it's a curled up, coiled up energy that's at the base of your spine in something called root bulb, which is right below your root chakra. Mm. And it's curled up there and it's asleep in average individuals. Everybody who's listening to this podcast today, your Kundalini has awakened to some degree or you would not even be interested in this topic, you would not be listening to this (laughs) if you didn't have an awakened kundalini already. So, hey, that's great news. Hey, your kundalini is awakened to some degree. So as a kundalini wakes up, it goes through a specific nadi. Nadi, remember, those are the conduits of pranic energy. So kundalini uh, goes up through sushumna nadi, it's called, sushumna nadi, which is, It goes through the center of your spinal canal.
5: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.
0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
3: And when it flows upwards through your body, it actually goes all the way up to the top of your head. And when it does, you experience what you might call nirvana. It goes up to the actually it's called nirvana chakra at the top of your, uh, right under the top of your skull. So um, that's when... Kundalini Shakti, meaning the female energy, unites with the male energy, the Shiva energy. So, the, the uniting of male and female aspects of your individuality creates spiritual awakening. And as Kundalini goes up through Sushumna, it's opening and awakening your chakras as well.
2: Mm. Wonderful! Thanks a lot for explaining that to us. So it's the ultimate uh, uniting of the female aspects of your being with your masculine aspects, uh, thereby leading to a spiritual awakening. And like you pointed out, as it's going from chakra to chakra, it's clearing out any blockages. It's uh, bringing about a new level of consciousness within you, and ultimately it reaches the the crown. At the top of your head. So thanks a lot for sharing this. Uh, could you highlight or maybe explain to us some of the benefits of, of activating our kundalini shakti from your point of view or from your experience? Well, what happens only, as a result?
3: Not only do you develop your clairvoyant, clairaudient, clairsentient abilities, which are your, I call them superpowers or subtle subtle sensory perception, super sensory perception Uh, not only that, but also you gain greater well-being, health, Mm. vitality, energy, and Mm -hmm. even more, you have greater charisma, Mm. more magnetic attraction, more charisma, which makes you more successful. (laughs) So there's many, many benefits to awakening kundalini, or don't necessarily even have to think about kundalini, just practicing meditation will take you into a elevated state and it will refine your prana, by the way. when you have more refined prana, it's like in the in the middle of meditation at the deepest part of meditation, it's like you're not breathing at all. Breath is suspended. Breath, the breath is never really suspended, but it's like your the breath becomes so subtle that you don't notice that you're breathing. It's so so quiet and so so subtle. Mm. And when you get into these subtle states of awareness, you experience higher consciousness, you experience bliss, Mm. uh, great joy and happiness within, that's a fantastic benefit. I mean, happiness, what could be greater than experiencing inner peace and happiness? And that's Mm. what comes when you experience subtler levels of pranic energy flowing through your system.
2: Oh, that's wonderfully explained. Thanks a lot for letting us know because I'm sure that all of our listeners would like to experience more bliss, more joy, more happiness in their everyday life. And through your aura, I could sense that you, Susan, are full of bliss. You're always uh, full of joy and you're laughing from time to time, uh, which is, which is amazing, which, which shows that, you know, your chakras are are, are aligned and, and you're, Prana is flowing through your sushumna properly. So thanks a lot for letting us know. In talking about the aura, you've written in your book that when kundalini rises through our chakras, this armor begins to crumble. So firstly, uh, talk to us about our aura. Maybe what role does it play in our life? And why does it crumble when our kundalini rises from the root to the crown?
3: Well, we have different layers of our auric field. There's yeah. what we call pancha kosha, meaning five sheaths.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: We have the physical body, and that's called the food sheath, the anamaya kosha. Mm-hmm. It's called the food sheath because it is made of food, sustained by food, and becomes food for something else after we're gone. And then there is the pranamaya kosha, which is the pranic or vital energy body, mm-hmm. and that is the body through which the nadi, uh, through, through which prana flows through the nadi. So that is made up of prana. That is what's keeping you alive, giving you motion, giving you heat, giving mm-hmm. you energy. Then there's the manomaya kosha, which is your mental body, mental emotional body. And that is your sensory perception is in that body.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, people think that the senses are in your physical body, but they're not. They're actually in your mental body. They're in a different sheath. They're not in the physical sheath. Uh, and I, we can demonstrate that by the fact that when somebody has a near-death experience, often they will leave their body and they'll maybe be up on the ceiling or someplace. And they'll be watching somebody. They'll be watching the doctors trying to revive them. They'll be looking at their own body down there. Well, what is looking at the body? It's certainly not the eyes of the person. <laughs> it's mm. not your eyes that you're seeing yourself through. You're mm. seeing yourself through your subtle senses, which are in your mental body, mm. the mano kosha. And then the next sheath is called the vijnana kosha, and the vijnana kosha is your uh, ego and intellect body. And then there is the uh, final fifth sheath sheath, which is your causal body, otherwise known as the uh, ananda kosha or blissful sheath. So there's all these sheaths, and and as you uh, gain spiritual awakening through awakening of kundalini or through other practices. You don't have to actually, like I said, you don't have to be focused on kundalini at, at all to attain spiritual awakening. But as you do that, what happens is these bodies become more clarified, like the mental body, for example, which may be filled with all, all kinds of negative emotions and thoughts and feelings that, are, that don't serve you. They start to fade away. They start to crumble. They start to disappear and you become more filled with light. Your entire Mm. energy field or auric field becomes more filled with light, and you become lighter, you become more exalted, and you become um, a a more beauteous divine being who realizes who you really are. You realize your true self. And I think what you're speaking of is the absorption when you say crumbling. You're talking about the laya, which means... As I said before, we begin with a Bindu point, mm-hmm. <laughs> or singularity, mm-hmm. and then from that, all of these what we call elements or tattvas get created. Mm-hmm. Eventually, um, from ether to air to fire to water to earth, uh, all the different elements get created, and and that's how we become physical beings. But mm-hmm. then at the end of our evolutionary cycle, uh, all of these elements get absorbed and we go yeah. back into the singularity. We become the oneness, the wholeness. We realize ourselves as oneness and wholeness. We realize ourselves as beingness, unbounded awareness, and no longer identify ourselves as this physical being.
4: Mm.
3: So that is really the definition of spiritual enlightenment is to realize who we really are, which is pure consciousness pure awareness
2: ah that, that's that's wonderful i love how you explain that and i can see how uh, the concept of the bindu is so beautiful because it explains life as it were at the big bang point and then going back again to the big bang point uh, and in doing so when we experience meditation when the ego is broken down that happiness that results when we realize that we are one with everything around us, I I think that's why we experience bliss, we feel happy that even though we might not have achieved that goal or those goals or not where we are financially or relationship wise, we are complete just the way we are, where we are, because we are this observer. right?
3: (laughs) Absolutely, AJ. Yeah, the observer, the witness, witness to all that's going on. Uh, You don't have control over what happens to you. Uh, These are all karmic results from the past. You you have really no control over them. But what you do have control over is uh, becoming uh, or realizing, I mean, who you really are. And in that way, you no longer uh, have this kind of uh, ego attachment to things around you so that you're happier. That's all you you live in, in greater happiness and inner peace, even though. All the vicissitudes of life are going on in your life Mm -hmm. and around you, you remain in a calm and peaceful state uh, as much as possible. And that comes from practice from from uh, doing your practices, your spiritual practice of meditation and other spiritual practices.
2: And speaking about practices, you write about the Bandhas in your book. So what are the Bandhas and how do they help with really channeling the energy of the kundalini within our body?
3: Well, bandhas are probably, uh, out of any other yogic practice, uh, bandhas are maybe the most profound for awakening kundalini. Mm -hmm. Although pranayama is also very, very good for awakening kundalini. But uh, pranayama means breathing exercises. But the bandhas are muscular locks. Mm
4: -hmm. And when you
3: use these muscular locks, Mm -hmm. uh, they help to force kundalini to rise up the sushumna nadi to rise up through its the central canal of your body. So there is the jalandhara Bandha, which is the neck lock, where uh-huh. you place your chin on the sternal notch. There is the udiana banda, which is a abdominal lock,
4: uh-huh.
3: where the uh, where the muscles are going upwards into the thorax area. And there's the mula banda, which is the where you are uh, squeezing the muscles of the anus and the genitals. So when you do these bandhas, it does help to awaken kundalini. They're very powerful, and they really make you feel good uh, doing doing these uh, practices. And also, I recommend pranayama, meaning breathing exercises, and that as long as you do the breathing exercises easily and effortlessly without straining, um, they're, they're also very good to do and will help to awaken kundalini
2: that's wonderful Uh, so recently for my personal life i'm experiencing a little bit of hair fall and hair thinning these days so what i do in the morning is i'm doing all these different inversion techniques so that i can bring some more blood flow to my hair thereby nourishing my scalp and obviously i've noticed so many side effects wonderful side effects also of this practice and uh, uh, and the other thing that I've recently discovered, which I am doing consciously, is the Ashwini Mudra, which is connected in a way to the Mula Bandha, right? Basically, constricting the muscles in the root. And there are so many numerous, and you've written about that also in your book, right?
3: Yes, Ashwini Mudra is in my book, and all the other the other um, various bandhas, and there's a lot of lot and lot of practices that are uh, related in the book. Uh, the Big Book of Chakras and Chakra Healing uh, that I recommend. And also another one of my books called Exploring Meditation yep. has some great uh, exercises, yoga kind of exercises that are not well known. I call them couch potato yoga, okay. <laughs> yoga <laughs> yogic sukshma vyayama which mm-hmm. is yoga for your subtle body. And mm. um, I discuss that in my book, uh, Exploring Chakras, and I teach it in that book. So my books really have so many practical uh, applications because there's tons of practices in all of my books, including a book called uh, "Awaken Your Third Eye," a book called "The Power of Auras." Mm-hmm. All of these books um, just filled with interesting practices to help you to develop your subtle sensory perception and to help you to awaken your spiritual self, to realize your spiritual self, and and. Use that in a practical way in your everyday life.
2: Beautiful. And you spoke about uh, breath work or pranayama a short while back, right? So talk to us about how this yogic breathing or controlling our breath or breathing in a certain way, how does it influence the chakras and help us heal? If you can give us an overview of that.
3: Well, prana, the life force energy prana is in the breath. It's in the air. It's in water. It's in food. And it is uh, the life force energy. So if you can increase prana in your energy field, mm-hmm. if you can increase the flow of prana, then you're going to have, be, have more energy, become more charismatic and be healthier. So uh, pranayama, pranayama I guess you, you pronounce it correctly, is a technique for, um, for increasing the prana through the nostrils uh, going into your physical uh, body. And when you increase prana in your physical body, you become healthier. So, you know, I I really recommend that people learn how to do some uh, breathing exercises. They're very, very helpful.
2: Well, absolutely. I recently, in fact, started doing more breath work, especially in the evening. And I found that is really, really useful to me. I immediately feel a Physiological state difference. I feel much more better. I feel much more recharged. And also, when doing kumbhaka, which is like the breath control, right, holding your breath for -hmm. long times. Recently, there was a Nobel Prize winner, right, that did some research into how elevated levels of carbon dioxide in the body can have numerous benefits for us. And so, it's funny how something that has been done for thousands of years, now science is discovering that, you know, too much of oxygen it's not really good for you. And that if there is, for a limited period of time, if there's a slightly heightened level of carbon dioxide, it can actually be good for the body, isn't it?
3: That's very interesting.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They found that uh, this phenomena can lead to proliferation of uh, stem cells, as well as other benefits. When my nose is blocked, I usually hold my breath and it has the effect of clearing my nasal channels almost immediately. So I'm really fascinated and want to learn more about Uh, all the different types of breath work that there is.
3: Mm -hmm. So there's two nadi besides the Sushumna nadi that are very important. One is called Mm -hmm. Ida and one is called Pingala. Mm -hmm. The Ida nadi is associated with the left nostril and the female aspect of your being. And the Pingala is associated with your right nostril and the male aspect of your being. And and naturally, human beings, uh, always breath is flowing more through one nostril than the other. And every 110 minutes, approximately, the nostrils switch. In other words, at some parts of our day, we are more in touch with our feminine side, more relaxed, more in touch with our, what we call the parasympathetic part of our autonomic nervous system, Mm -hmm. uh, which is digesting food and doing uh, internal activities. And then at other times, we are more in touch with the male side of our being. Uh, which, is in, which is associated with the sympathetic aspect of the autonomic nervous system uh, and which is involved with greater activity, uh, with heat, with um, more aggressive activity, with fight-and-flight reaction, adrenaline, and that sort of thing. So um, those, the autonomic nervous system is associated with our two nostrils, so when we do pranayama, what we're doing is we're balancing this autonomic nervous system. And as a result of that, we become more uh, balanced. Our polarities become more balanced. The male and female within us becomes more balanced. Uh, we become more balanced in all aspects of life when we practice, for example, alternating breathing, exercise that goes from one nostril to the other which uh, you can learn how to do. It's very simple to do. The important thing about pranayama is not to strain. It's very important to be uh, easy and effortless with it. and not uh, You can actually damage yourself if you uh, do these breathing exercises too forcefully. Uh, it's, it's good. And uh, if you're going to use kumbhaka, if you're going to use retention of breath, it's important to build up to that and not try to do it all at once and not try to force yourself into holding the breath for long periods of time or into, or forcing the air in and out of the nostrils, um, better to take it easy with prana, pranayama.
2: Wonderful. Thanks a lot for sharing that, uh, Susan. And for listeners who are listening right now, you know, I would highly recommend uh, trying out or checking out or learning how to do the alternative nostril breathing because I find, especially if I'm in a meeting or maybe if I'm going into doing something that's important or some creative work, or if I just need to relax in the evening, just two minutes or three minutes of that alternative nostril breathing feels so great. It feels so relaxing. It's not esoteric. It's not complex. It's very practical. So make sure you check that out. Now, Susan, let's talk about the third eye now, because any discussion about the chakras would be incomplete without this particular chakra. So what role does the third eye play in the evolution of a person's life or even humanity overall?
3: Yeah. So with our two eyes, we see this beautiful, wondrous world through our senses, including our two eyes. But there's a third eye, and the third eye is located in the center of your head. It's in the pineal gland area. And that particular uh, chakra is Mm. the sixth chakra, and it is associated with spiritual illumination. It is the eye of illumination. It is the eye of seeing things that are hidden from view, the eye of clairvoyance, clairaudience, and clairsentience. It's a way for you to uh, experience your true divine nature. Every one of our seven major chakras is uh, associated with a planet. Mm-hmm. And the uh, sixth chakra, or third eye chakra, is, it, is associated with the planet Jupiter. And the planet Jupiter in Sanskrit, the word for Jupiter, is guru. So that planet, uh, which is the guru, the inner guru, is is there sitting seated in your third eye. So it is your inner teacher. It is your inner guru. It's your intuition. It is your insight. It's the place from which you can derive spiritual knowledge. It's the place where you can get any and every question in the universe answered when you ask, when you ask spirit, when you ask the inner guru to give you the answer to any question, (laughs) you will receive the answer when you develop that clairvoyant, clairaudient, and clairsentient ability, which is located there in your third eye. So, uh, my books can help you do that. I've written several books about developing <laughs> intuition. One is called Awaken Your Divine Intuition. Another is called Awaken Your Third Eye. And uh, my latest book, and uh, my very latest book, is called Third Eye Meditations. And the Third Eye Meditations book is just filled with guided meditations. And guided meditations, by their very nature, help you to awaken your third eye because what you're doing when you do a guided meditation is you're listening to the instructions. And as you're listening to the instructions, you are receiving uh, instructions to, that will help you to awaken your inner vision, because you're seeing things as you're listening, you're, you're seeing uh, the things that you're experiencing. So mm. guided meditation, first of all, is totally easy and effortless. You don't have to do anything. It's the do nothing program. You just listen to, the, uh, you actually either read the words on the page or you can record those words onto a recording device is what I recommend. And then you close your eyes and listen to your own voice guiding you into the meditation. Or you can get it as an audiobook. Third Eye Meditations is available as an audiobook. And then you just close your eyes and follow the instructions. You just listen and it will guide you step by step by step through the meditative process. That helps you develop your third eye. But I have to say that my book, Awaken Your Third Eye, has tons of techniques to help you develop your uh, clairvoyant, clairstention and clairaudient abilities, tons of techniques to help you open your third eye. And also another book, The Power of Auras, which mm. specifically helps you to develop your ability to read auras, to be able to see clairvoyantly. Uh, that is also, that's got tons of other methods in it. (laughs) So all my books are very practical. They're not just about airy-fairy. They're not airy-fairy at all, actually. They're all very practical.
2: (laughs) So Action Tribe, when the motivational speaker, Tony Robbins said, I'm not your guru, he was probably right. Because as we're learning today, the guru is within you. And It is in your third eye. So, uh, Susan, if the third eye is so powerful and it's so important uh, in our evolution, why isn't it active or why is it dormant in most human beings today?
3: So the reason why our third eye is dormant, not activated, is because we're not taught how to activate it in school. We're not trained in this ability that anybody can learn. You can learn intuition. You can learn to develop clairvoyance, clairaudience, and clairsentience. It's a teachable method. It's a teachable skill. And we haven't been taught it because we are now in our phase of science-based. Everything is science, 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 science. Science is our God right now. So, <laughs> So as science continues to be our deity, we worship at the temple of science, <laughs> and we're not... Uh, learning how to develop our spiritual self we 're not learning how to develop our natural abilities of supersensory perception
2: mm-hmm. that uh, that definitely helps clarify a lot of things and I guess the solution is for schools and educational institutions to start uh, introducing spiritual practices or intuitive practice or practices like yoga and breathing at a younger age, so that the kids can then use their gifts that they already have to awaken at a younger age, which I'm sure is going to be easier than if someone decides to do much later down the line. So thanks a lot for sharing. Now, Susan, from an energetic standpoint, in your opinion, how is the energy of this brand new decade different from the last decade that ended in 2019? Do you experience a shift? Do you feel there's a difference?
3: I don't experience any kind of energetic shift with these arbitrary numbers that we that we give to years, right. however, in the last fifty years,
4: mm-hmm.
3: uh, huge changes have taken place on this planet, yeah, in the twentieth century, which most of you weren't even there <laughs> in the twentieth mm-hmm. century, way back, uh, this planet was a bloodbath, frankly. Mm. We had World War I, where 41 million people were murdered. We had World War II, where 71 million people were murdered. We had thousands of soldiers coming back home in body bags. The Vietnam War, not another bloodbath, not as many people killed, but the entire century was basically world wars, conflict, misery, bloodbath. Mm-hmm. What do we have now in the 21st century? Well, we certainly don't have that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a different world. Way back in the 20th century, middle of the 20th century, there was no yoga. There was no mantra. There was no martial arts. There was no organic foods. Uh, you would go to the grocery store and you'd find meat, potatoes. The only fresh foods you would find in the grocery store would be potatoes, tomatoes, oranges, apples, and bananas. Mm-hmm. There wouldn't, you wouldn't even find fresh vegetables. They didn't exist. I know this is hard for people to believe, but, you know, I remember. I'm that old. (laughs) So uh, back then, there were no esoteric bookstores. There were two esoteric bookstores in the entire country, on the East Coast and the West Coast. No bookstores anywhere else had any information about yoga, about mantra, about kundalini, anything. Nothing, nothing, no esoteric information whatsoever. And you certainly were not going to learn it in school. That's for sure. Uh, Back then, people were very uptight. (laughs) (laughs) They were very, very uptight. And they weren't relaxed. They were always wearing a mask. They had to live up to this certain way of being and certain um, very strict rules about roles between men and women. Uh, There was a lot of prejudice against Uh, ethnic groups, it was a different world. Today, the world is very, very different, especially with the internet proliferation of metaphysical knowledge, a show like AJ's show that we're listening to right now, available for anyone and everyone, at least in places other than North Korea and maybe other places where you can't get information because of the state. But in the free world, certainly it's all there. So it's a different world, and I'm really glad that it is, because happily, some wonderful teachers from the East came to the West in the 20th century, and they began to teach meditation, they began to teach yogic practices, they began to awaken people. And as a result of that, for the last 50 years, people have been awakening, and they continue to awaken. And more and more and more and more people are getting interested in self-development in spiritual practices, in something other than orthodox religions. Alternative religions are becoming more interesting to people.
2: Action Tribe, are you finding it hard to de-stress and unwind in the midst of this crazy pandemic? Come join us for a soothing, relaxing breathwork session online on Zoom. Now I do these sessions for our paid members twice a week and I've received so many powerful testimonials from people who've received a lot of support, comfort and healing from these sessions. And to show you just how powerful these yogic breathwork practices are, every month I do a breathwork intro workshop for people who'd like to give this a shot. In the past, people have paid anywhere between 10 to $20 for a drop-in, but for a short while, I've decided to make these sessions available for just 50 cents a ticket. And these sessions are live, but you just pay 50 cents. So, if you'd like to learn how to calm your mind, relax your nervous system, and experience deep states of bliss using your breath from the comfort of your home, visit That's my 7 forward slash breath intro. That's my7 is a word, my7chakras.com forward slash breath intro. I'll see you soon.
3: People are talking about, oh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, They're mm-hmm. beginning to say that. 10 to 14%, depending on where you read the statistics, somewhere between 10 and 14% of people in the United States claim that they meditate. Mm-hmm. It's a different world. What can I say?
2: Yes. So Action Tribe, if you're listening to this right now, especially if you're in 2020, then it's a good time to be alive. And thanks a lot for putting that into our perspective I hope you enjoyed today's session so far, and you now now have some insights or some thoughts into how you can awaken that force within you and heal your life. It is now time to start paying attention to that faint voice within, and time to listen to your heart, what it's telling you. Even though sometimes it might not seem logical at first, you must lean into your hunch and trust your path, because if you have faith, it'll never lead you astray. Because as Albert Einstein once said, I believe in intuitions and inspirations. I sometimes feel that I'm right. I do not know that I am. So trust your intuition. And with that being said, it is now time for our wisdom round, after which we're going to continue our conversation and go deeper for our members. Now, to remind you, this extended conversation is one of the numerous bonuses available to members of the Action Tribe Energy Circle community. To learn more, go to my 7 forward slash join. That's my 7 forward slash join. So let's begin the wisdom round, which includes four questions. Uh, rapid fire style. So Susan, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received?
3: That I've ever received? One day Maharishi came up to me and handed me a flower and he said to me, don't look to anyone. When you don't look to anyone, then everyone will look to you. I didn't quite understand what he was saying at the time, but eventually I realized that he wasn't just talking about anyone. He was also talking about himself. In other Mm. words, don't look to me as being your God. Uh, Look to yourself, realize yourself, and depend on yourself rather than on uh, people and things around you.
2: Got it. And if you could turn back time and spend one hour with someone who is living or dead, who would it be?
3: First one that popped into my mind was Jesus. I think it would be interesting for me to spend some time with him. (laughs) 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 He was a pretty interesting character. He was an iconoclast. He was a rebel. And he he emphasized the idea that we can create our own reality through our words, especially through our words, and that we have all the power within us. Greater things than this shall you do, is what he said.
2: And what is it one thing you do in the morning or maybe in the evening before you sleep that has improved the quality of your life?
3: Meditation is what has improved the quality (laughs) of my life. (laughs) <laughs> no matter when i do it meditation yeah. is the panacea of all ills it is the thing that will bring you back to your center it's the thing that will help you to uh, stay youthful it's mm-hmm. the thing that will help you stay healthy and strong and it is the thing that connects you to spirit and brings you joy bliss consciousness fulfillment contentment Uh, It is just the best thing. Meditation is the best thing.
2: And if you could recommend one book for our listeners today, what would it be?
3: Bhagavad Gita would be a good book for everyone to, uh, to read and to absorb because it has all the teachings of yoga in a very small volume and it will teach you about the master disciple relationship as well, because, uh, Krishna, Krishna did his open ego surgery on Arjuna during <laughs> that particular dialogue. And if you can read between the lines, you'll understand that. But it has all the teachings of the ages right there in the Bhagavad Gita.
2: Thanks for sharing. Action Tribe, would you like to receive one book for free? Because Audible.com is offering Action Tribe one free audio book download with a free 30-day trial. In case you don't know, Audible is into audiobooks, which means that you are listening to the book rather than reading the book. And in most cases, the author himself or herself reads out the book to you. It's a great experience to try it out and get your first audiobook for free. Go to my 7 forward slash free book. That's my 7 forward slash free book. So Susan, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all those stories and pieces of wisdom and things to watch out for and ancient esoteric wisdom with us. What is that one thing that you're grateful for today? And how can people find more about you and get a hold of your books?
3: I'm so grateful that I learned this special knowledge called divine revelation, which at any time, all I need to do is just call upon divine beings, call upon God and ask or whatever it is that I want, whatever spiritual experience that I want, and that immediately the divine beings of light would come to me and lift me out of any negative state, any uh, discord, and bring me right back to center, right back to my divine beingness. That at any time I can call upon these beauteous beings of light and return to God realization, return to the direct contact and communication with God. And I am so grateful that that I have that, that I know how to do that, and that I can share that with other people, that I can teach others how to do that as well.
2: And how do we find you online as well as get a hold of your books?
3: My website is a drsusan.org. That's drsusan.org. And also my other website, Divine Travels dot com. That's plural on the travels, divine travels dot com. And my books are available anywhere that you purchase books. Uh, obviously, probably the least expensive place to purchase them is at Amazon. All, all my books are available on all platforms and also at your local bookstore. And if it, it's not there, you can ask them to get it in for you. So I have 18 books in print, 34 foreign editions, and I've won 31 book awards.
2: 18 books is a lot. I mean, I know that people take months and months to write one book, but you've written 18 books. And of course, you've got other works, you do workshops, you've got courses. So I should try to make sure that you learn more about Dr. Susan Shomsky at her website. We link her website uh, as well as our book on the show notes. Are you available on Instagram, Susan?
3: Uh, yes, you- um, I have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that as well.
2: Great. So Action Tribe, if you're on Instagram, then take a screenshot of this episode and tag me on Instagram so that I can share your story with Susan and with our entire community. My handle is at my7chakras. That's at my7chakras. We're now going to move into our bonus extended session for our Energy Circle members. If you'd like to upgrade, the link is in the episode show notes. And if not, no worries. Have a great week ahead and we will chat soon.
0: Thank you for listening to my seven chakras at mysevenchakras.com. That is my S-E-V-E-N, chakras.com.